Hey, you, dare to think. Y'all ready to get funky? Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Warning, the show might trigger you. You don't love the gospel. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly Zilly. Joining us today from Big 12 Country in Norman, Oklahoma, Vicar Rob Schrader at Trinity Lutheran Church, serving students at OU, Boomer Sooner, the University of Oklahoma. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm doing just fine, Marcus. Thanks for asking. Oh, I Great to have you today. You know what? I was just thinking, I think you're the first, I think you're the first vicar I've ever had on this program in three years. Well, that's quite the honor. Well, and it's even more of an honor because you are at the place where I, I was vicar number six at Trinity Lutheran Church in Norman, Oklahoma, and you are vicar number 30, 30 under Pastor Dave Nairns. Great. Great supervisor, greatest, I, I don't mind saying this publicly, it was one of the best years of my life. I trust you're having a great year, too. Certainly, yeah. You, you know he's a great guy, and it's a great congregation, great church, great people, and um, it's been a good learning experience for me, no, no doubt about it. No, absolutely, and you're just kind of on the beginning part of it. You One of the year, one of the, for everybody out there, uh, we have maybe, I don't know, four or five kind of really solid campus ministry locations where what would you say half of what you do is campus ministry or is it more than that i'd say it's probably a little bit less than that but okay. it's quite a bit of my time well that's because naren's getting older and needs more help <laughs> <laughs> love you dave i'm sure you're gonna listen to this <laughs> um <laughs> but uh no but it's um it's a you know i remember it was a great year chance to uh, learn what it means to be a pastor from a true mentor and i mean that quite sincere sincerely a true mentor in every way and uh, and also have a chance to do campus ministry and kind of kind of stretch out and do things that you'd like to do and uh are people there? I, I know everybody's kind of bummed that uh, OU the Sooners lost this last weekend to Kansas State, right? Yes, they did. I've I've heard a few rants in the last week. But have you gotten to a game? Have you you got to get to a game if you can while you're I, there. I did get to a game. Uh, yes, a, a nice woman in the congregation gave Pastor and I tickets to a game, the second game of the season. So we had a nice time, and it was it was cool to go. Yeah, excellent. That's that's a nice experience. Now, you hail from. Wisconsin, right? Are you a cheesehead yeah. then? You root for the yeah, Packers? They're, they're they're doing really well this year. They're seven and one right now. So now they're looking they good. Uh, now don't they? I think isn't their next game in San Francisco? Uh, no, they're playing the Chargers on Sunday. But they've got San Fran in a couple. It's of coming weeks. up, and that that's going to be a big game because they're seven and zero. Yeah, or, or eight and zero, one of the two. But um, yeah. and who would have thought that? So. Um, Anyways, um, no, it was a great year. I had a chance to go to a couple OU games, and and um, now they're doing great. They just ran into uh, it. Happens, it happens. So, yeah. 
Well, the schooner went down, and the team went down with them. Oh, no. Couldn't, they couldn't postpone the game, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good. Anyways, I'm glad you're having a great experience. I think that they've had 30 campus ministry vicars come through there over the years. Um, it's just it's just fantastic. So anyways, well, that's all we have time for. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, one of the reasons why I'm having you on the show today is that uh, when you first got there, maybe a month or so ago, you kind of started starting out. You kind of called me up, asked me for some tips, trying to figure this campus ministry thing out, um, kind of what kind of things you could do to kind of attract students. And I had suggested, uh, what if you do you know, something on campus where you're kind of trying to invite people in on a topic that might be of interest to them? And you actually did this. You actually listened to me. <laughs> <laughs> And you chose a to- what? What topic did you pick? And tell us about the event and how it went. I, my topic was: Is the Bible believable? I wanted to pick something that was uh, maybe a little bit provocative, but also something that I thought would be uh, really good for me to look into and, and get deeper knowledge. And something I think all Christians should have deeper knowledge. I mean, we, we base everything off the Bible, we should really know why we trust the Bible in the first place. So, uh, Scriptura, so. Reformation, rah rah, all that. um so yeah we we had the event um on campus we rented a room in the student union um and did some pretty heavy advertising for a few weeks beforehand um i I put the presentation together read a few books kind of made sure i knew my stuff well enough i don't know it great but i know it well enough um and then we just had on a thursday night one night and about i'd say 10 to 12 people came by um, besides the ones in my class, and uh, we spent an hour just going through the presentation, and it, it went it went pretty well. Praise be to now, God. Now, I know to everybody it sounds like 10 to 12 people. Yeah, that doesn't sound – that's incredible. I mean, that's – to get 10 to 12 people that aren't people that you knew, that clearly responded to the advertising or they were invited or whatever, to come to hear – these are people that actually wanted to hear what somebody had to say on this topic. Yeah, yeah, and I I think most of them, in kind of looking around and surveying, most of them were probably Christians, but we did, interestingly, get two Mormon missionaries that came up, and a couple guys that I, I don't think were Christians, so it's it's great to give the Word of God to people who need to hear it. Yes, absolutely. Well, I am awfully proud of you for doing that. This is fantastic, and but I thought, you know, hey, is the Bible believable? Why don't we, why don't we talk through this a little bit? Um Let's talk about the topic. How, kind of how did you start this out? Well, yeah, you suggested that I do something maybe a bit more provocative, something that would get attention of, you know, people on a secular campus, uh, a campus known for, you know, not necessarily being very Christian at all. And uh, I, I wanted to stray away from the, the really, really hot-button issues. You know, I didn't want to do something on abortion or didn't want to do something on homosexuality. Sure. Especially um, when you're but, you're new there and just yeah. feeling things out. And I get that. Yeah. And so I, I was just thinking, and I, I don't even know how it came to me. Um, I was probably in the shower. I don't know. And uh, yeah, That's where a lot of the best that. ideas ever come from. That, that's right. Because you, yeah. you, you, you can't be on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Probably aren't listening to anything, and nobody can get a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just I thought that would be a good topic to do. Is the Bible believable? Something that I think a lot of Christians are curious about, and I think something that I was hoping, something that 
atheists would, would want to come and say, no, it's not believable. Um, I didn't have any pushback, which maybe for the first time in the presentation was sure. kind of nice. Sure. Um, but I thought it was maybe provocative enough um, without being offensive. Well, good. I mean, you know, they, they know that, hey, you're a pastor in training, as they don't probably know what a vicar is. <clears throat> but they know that you're you're a pastor in training, and so they they probably assume that you're going to believe the Bible. Although you never know, some Christian churches, you know, maybe they don't believe the Bible. Yeah. Um, but um, but it sounds sounds to me like it's provocative enough in this, and it, and it's open enough that the, it's in the mind of the believer what they want to bring to that question. Yeah, and I, I tried to leave it pretty open too, to you know, to say, hey, if if you want to push back against this, you know, there's going to be question and answer at the end, or you know, I, I gave out my email address, if you have, you know, arguments you want to push back against, or things you want to know, go ahead and shoot me an email. We can or if you want to stop by, you can see me at my house, and then you handed out the, the, the name and uh, street number of uh, Pastor Nairn's house. <laughs> if you have questions with anything I said, here, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Actually, I'd probably do that if I was a, still a vicar, but um, <laughs> look, I was lucky I made it through. <laughs> so uh, so anyways, walk us through this a little bit. Kind of how did you start and what was the first big topic you hit? Well, I, I was reading a, a book that my fiance had given to me. Um, it's, it's just called The Problem of God, and he kind of goes through um, different And who's this? Who's arguments. it by? It's by a, a pastor in Vancouver. His name is Mark Clark. Okay. Um, he's an evangelical kind of a guy. I, I listened to him kind of before I became a Lutheran, really, and so I just kind of kept up listening to him now and then. He's oh, so you're a, you're a convert to Lutheranism. Well, well, I was, I was born a Lutheran, but I did some searching in college. Um, and then oh, me too. Back to the Lutheran Church. In fact, that's why I wanted to become a campus pastor because I realized that um, that I searched long and far and realized that the the best thing that I had going was what I had all along. Yes, I have a similar story. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, interesting. Yeah, so he he had a chapter kind of on this, and I I, I that was the first thing I, was, I just kind of read his chapter, and you know that was kind of my jumping off point, um, and then. I talked to Pastor Nairns about it, and he gave me the idea to look at Josh McDowell's um, book. I think it's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Sure. So I read the chapters in that kind of about this topic and did some searching online, did some you know YouTube videos just to kind of get a few more ideas. And, and that book is yeah. it's great. If anybody, they just he and his uh, and his son Sean just uh, redid this. I mean, this Evidence Demands a Verdict goes must go back forty years now. 30, I think 40 years. Yeah. And, uh, and they've gone back and kind of updated. And whenever you take a book that's 30, 40 years old and update it and revise it and bring it up to the times, um, that, that's, that's, it stood the test of time. It's a great resource, especially the new and updated version. So, what, so does, how, how about archaeology? Let's talk about that. What are some of the things that kind of come up that, you know, some of the pitfalls, things that people claim, oh, well, you know, you know, you can't prove all this stuff and some of these places probably didn't exist. And how do you address some of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so I actually got to spend this last um, summer in Israel doing archaeology. So this is kind oh. of a topic of interest to me. Cool. Um, and and in in my looking, um, one of the things that jumped out to me the most was uh, there was a guy named uh, William Ramsey. He's an archaeologist, famous archaeologist, and 
he was an atheist, and he set out for 30 years. He thought Luke couldn't have been right. The book of Luke and, Luke and Acts, lots of historical, archaeological data. He said Luke is wrong. So he spent 30 years looking, and by the end, he comes out and says, Luke is one of the greatest historians of all time. He's, mm. he's accurate in everything he says. you know, And, and that's pretty much been the storyline with the Bible. A lot of people have set out to prove it wrong and say, you know, we, we can't find this. And then, lo and behold, 10 years later, that shows up, you know, or this city isn't here. Well, they dig a little bit deeper and there it is. And, and really, a lot of archaeologists have come out and said, you know, there is nothing that we have found that has contradicted the Bible. Um, of course, we can't prove every detail in the Bible. Some things have just been lost to history. Mm-hmm. But the key point is that nothing that we've found has disproven the Bible. Sure. Think about how many things have been lost to, to history and archaeologically just going back a couple hundred years that we can't, you know, they changed the name of the town or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. I mean, we find archaeological wonders just going back uh, down here in New Mexico where I'm at, go back about 450 480 years in terms of history and they're constantly finding things so just because just because you don't know something um does because something isn't known doesn't mean it's not true it just means that it's not known it's like yeah. a mystery and, and a mystery does uh, when god speaks of mysteries he's not speaking of things that aren't knowable he's speaking about things that are knowable it's just that they they're not explainable So, I mean, yeah, okay. you know, like it's like with just having Halloween here, you wear a mask, you know, um, you know, somebody's behind the mask just because you just don't know who they are necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, every time you turn around, it seems like archaeology is, if anything, when things are found, when you hear, oh, there's this new archaeology, it usually helps us out, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. And, and one thing that really struck me um, was I remember when I was growing up, somebody told me, you know, history has proven that Luke was wrong, that the census, you know, at the beginning of when, mm-hmm. you know, Mary and Joseph go down, that, that couldn't have been true. Well, I was doing research, and they found papyrus in Egypt that speak of that exact census, exactly like Luke, Luke said it was. Mm. You know, so we get this brand new find, and there it is. It, it shows the Bible is true again. You know, and that, that seems to happen time and time again. And then when that happens, that should reinforce, hey, Luke is pretty uh, trustworthy. Exactly. Exactly. And he's been proven over and over again to be to be right. So let's just believe him. Now, we got to keep in mind, everybody listening out there, that, of course, we believe that we're, you know, we believe the things in God's word by, by faith. You know, so it's not like we, we don't, you know, we're talking about more of this in a, an apologetic sense of working with people that are predisposed to thinking that it, it's a bunch of bunk. Yes, exactly. Thanks for putting that in. No, no, absolutely. But any other archaeology insights that you might be able to bring oh, to the th- table here? Those were the big ones that I, I, I kind of noticed, yeah. What about other, other history? You know, one of the biggest charges people claim um, and trust me, people hear this all over. You can watch the news. You'll hear people talking whenever they show the snowflake culture on campus. You hear a lot of this charge of, uh, I can't believe that we're going to sit here and base what we're going to do today on something written by a bunch of you know white old men from 2,000 years ago. As if somehow you know being 2,000 years old is inherently bad. Um, 
What, but but what kind of historical attestation does this bring to the table? And isn't history a, a, a isn't that something to to have in our back pocket as far as a defense of of the authenticity of the Word of God? Yeah, and you you can kind of get into that a little bit when you when you look at even like the contradictions, right? Uh, people people have been claiming for thousands of years that there's been contradictions in the Bible. Well, then that for thousands of years people have been saying. Here's the explanations for those contradictions. Right. Um, and, and really, over the course of 2,000 years, especially since the Enlightenment, the Bible has been attacked over and over and over again. And yet, it's, it's been proven true over and over and over again. And, and it's, it's, I think there's one quote I had in the presentation about how you know, the Bible has really been under more scrutiny than any other book or source in history, and yet it's still believed by billions of people around the world. Um, it, it, it's proven itself to, to stand the test of time and, and withstand all of these attacks that it's constantly getting. And, and when of you, course, like... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that... Uh, you know, when you think when Josh McDowell's got a lot of wonderful things that he maps out in terms of like comparing it to Shakespeare or, you know, other great Greek works or, or things that, uh, you know, we just kind of assume things about this. But there isn't some anti-Shakespearean society trying to prove that Shakespeare, all the documents were wrong and falsified and whatnot. But the Bible's got infinitely more attestation um, going oh, yeah. for it. Yeah, if you're talking about just, just the the evidence for the, the textual accuracy itself, sure. the Bible jumps off the page. I mean, I, that was one of the big arguments I had in the presentation, just to as people say, well, there's no way that we could have, we could have the same words that, you know, that they had 2,000 years ago. Well, we have uh, thousands of, of ancient texts that we've translated and discovered, you know, and um, I, when I was doing the research, uh, Homer's Iliad is, is the best attested ancient document outside of the New Testament. Okay. And, um, for instance, th there's, tw there's 643 copies, manuscripts, that we have of Homer's Iliad, right? Oh, that's and that pretty sounds good. like a lot. That's yeah. pretty good. The New Testament has over twenty five thousand. Wow. You know, it, it, it just it jumps off the page. And, and Homer's Iliad is how old? Uh, from 900 B.C. Okay. So the New Testament, you figure, is written uh, between 50 and 95 A.D. Um, and the other major thing is that the earliest manuscripts that we have for, like, Homer's Iliad, it comes 500 years after it was written. But the New Testament, the earliest manuscript that we have is only 50 to 100 years after it was written. So In other we can, words, we, we have... So just because the Homer's Iliad was uh, was the, uh, the Odyssey, right? Was it the well, Iliad? The, the or Iliad the... is the one that we have more okay. uh, evidence. But, so the Iliad is written nine hundred years uh, or before Christ, roughly. But yet we don't have copies of it for another. You know, it's it's we have to go thirteen, fourteen hundred years from the time that it was known to have been written. Can you, no, you, I'm sorry. It, we we have copies 500 years after he wrote it, so from oh, okay. about 400 BC. Okay. But with the scriptures, the New Testament, we you know we have them 50 years or so later. Yeah, exactly. Which and, and so, what would be the rule of thumb for lay people out there? What would be the rule of thumb? What what does it tell us that it's closer rather than 
a, a, a smaller gap rather than a wider gap. So yeah, exactly. You you can um, you can trust that that the text that they had copied over and over again for those fifty years, right? That text is going to be pretty close to the original text. Where if you wait five hundred years, who knows what happened in that five hundred years? Sure. Whereas when this, in the in the New Testament, we've got such a um, a close time gap between when it was written and the earliest manuscripts. Um, and Christianity that, was so well, so widely known already, even early on, thanks to the great explosion of the gospel in the book of Acts. I mean, you still had, in the case of people always ask, well, how come all the disciples got killed except for John? Well, it seems to me God kind of allowed John to hang around long enough to see this, see this process through. At least that's my thinking. But you had contemporaries or people that were trained by the apostles around to help sort some of these things out. You still have that within 50, 60, 70 years. You don't have that five centuries later. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that is a, a, yeah, a key, key piece to the, the evidence that we have for the scriptures is that it was so soon that people were still around that perhaps knew Jesus or knew people that knew Jesus. Yeah, I mean, just imagine when you get out there your first parish someday, well, Pastor so-and-so taught me back in confirmation class that you should always do such and such this way, you know. Well, just imagine if you had, well, hey, I was confirmed by the Apostle the apostle John. <laughs> John told me. That would be pretty good. Yeah, I usually like, okay, yeah, you're, oh, yeah, but, you know, like, like, you know, the guy that wrote like five, six books of the Bible, Jesus' best bud. You know, okay, okay, maybe I should listen to this person. <laughs> but, hey, we just got a, about three or four minutes left here. Um, we've talked about, I'm sure you went through a lot of, the, there's a lot of contra- alleged Bible contradictions that can go through. And we've been going through some through some of them in um, a series we've been doing with, with Pastor Dan Soulsley from the University of North Dakota. But... Um, what about the whole charge of, you know, it was just a bunch of power-hungry people that Jesus died and they decided to go and, and throw this stuff together to kind of keep the movement going for their own yeah, sake I mean, of power? Yeah, I mean, that's how I ended the presentation. I think that's the most ridiculous claim there is, um, because the, the people that wrote the Bible didn't gain power. They, they gained persecution. Um, and, and the other really incredible thing is... And it the, didn't stop them. It didn't stop them, yeah. And, and the Bible explains or, or predicts in, in numerous places that those who follow the teachings of Jesus are going to get persecuted. I mean, I, I'm not a marketing major, but I don't think that you, you put in your, your document that you're trying to you know, sell to the world that, oh, if you believe this, you're going to get persecuted, you're going to die. For yeah, and nobody it. does like, hey, drink more Dr. Pepper, you might die earlier. <laughs> nobody does exactly. that. <laughs> it's not good for sales. So it's the opposite. Yeah, you'd expect if they were power hungry, you'd expect exactly the opposite. Yes, and and we see like you like you mentioned that in fact a lot of them, hundreds of or thousands of these early Christians were were put to death. And we have these we have these records from non Christian sources telling us that these eyewitnesses were were put to death for the beliefs. And it says in in the eyewitness accounts, you know that they were given a chance to plead guilty, and they, they refused. And so they, they suffered incredibly um, painful deaths 
because they knew that this stuff was true. I mean, these are the eyewitnesses, the people that knew the eyewitnesses that we're talking about. This is, this is 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion. This is, this is going on in Rome by Nero. Um, it, it's, it's astounding. You, you don't die for that if you made it up. Sure. You don't suffer for that if you made it up. But they didn't make it up. It was true, and, and they, they had such great faith that on the other end, they were going to be in heaven with, with Jesus Christ for eternity that they, they were willing to suffer those awful tortures because they knew it to be true. So kudos to you, Vicar, for, uh, for putting on an event like this and, and, and actually listening to me. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for the advice. It was great advice. And, and did, you, did you get much, uh, <clears throat> have any chance to, you know, I suppose you never quite know how the seeds are going to be planted for this type of thing. But do you think this is something that whether it's you or another Vicar, somebody might try to do down the line again? I'm hoping. I, I'm going to leave my, my resources behind, and uh, I hope people will continue this. And I, I plan to do another one in the spring semester. I haven't picked a topic out no. yet, but I hope to do another one. Well, if you do, you're more than welcome to come back on the show in the spring, and we'll talk about that one too, all right? Well, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. Give my best to everybody down there in, uh, in, in, in Norman and at TLC, and especially Pastor Nairns. I like to give him a little grief, but just because I love the, love the guy that much. And um, <laughs> Tickled to death that they have such a wonderful, wonderful vicar there uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, give my best to your students, and we'll talk to you maybe in the spring. Certainly, and thanks for having me on. Okay. I really appreciate Take it. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfu.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.